0: Hey-oh, it's The Sopranos Podcast here with Season 2, Episode 9, a little detour on the way to paradise. We have chosen this life in full awareness of the consequences of our sins. That line is spoken by Carmela Soprano in a very wonderfully done scene in this episode, Season 2, Episode 9 of The Sopranos from where to eternity this episode is written by michael imperioli yes the same michael imperioli who plays christopher in the series and directed by henry Bronktine. lot going on here Woof! this is a great hour of sopranos we're hunting for matthew bevilacqua tony and carmela discuss a vasectomy and paulie's been given a message from beyond we have a very special guest here. We're going to talk to her in a second. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm
1: Jordan Hugh.
0: And joining us, folks, if you listen to our first season, we had our uh, on our first season retrospective, my wife, Lily. Uh, this is a special episode, so we thought we'd make it a little extra special by bringing in uh, my wife, Lily, yet again. Lily, say hi.
2: Hi. And <laughs> I usually think of you as my husband, but, you know.
0: Weird how that works. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I want a divorce. Okay. <laughs> We're here. It's uh, My uh, Lover's Prayer takes us into the episode. This is uh, an amazing music cue. Brings you right into it. Great song. And here we go. This episode is dramatic. It's funny. Michael Imperioli, in uh, my opinion, hell of a writer here, does a great job with this episode. It's well directed. It moves. It, 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 it feels sweeping and poignant and beautiful it touches on a lot of wild thematic things that are as of yet unexplored on the sopranos and it makes a few bold decisions here that could have fallen flat on their face if in less talented hands but that is not what the sopranos is it is very talented hands telling this story initial gut reactions to from where to eternity
1: Episode has enormous implications beyond just the plot and its characters, because we're
0: we're never sure
1: in life exactly what is beyond, and this is the first episode that really wrestles with that in a way that is concrete, right? It, you know, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there a god? If we're living a life that is sinful and is full of consequences, what are those consequences? Is this a hallucination, a dream brought on by injury and morphine that takes place in the in-between places of sleep, or does Colin the Psychic bring us to an actual realm beyond? And if so, what does that mean for people who engage in a life that is full of sin, and therefore a full consequence? I don't know.
3: Growing up Catholic, I communed with a lot of the ideas in this episode, and the questions of sin and... As Carmela says, the life that they've chosen... There's a couple of complications. One is that not everybody has chosen this life. Some people have its elements foisted upon them. We'll come back to that, because we have to deal with AJ in this episode. But Carmela might believe that, and the other characters might also believe it. But this episode proves that they weren't ready. Because they're all under this remarkable amount of strain because of what's happening. And they're throwing up their hands because of these difficult questions. And seeing them in that space is remarkably dramatic. It's very effective. This is a this is an all-timer for me, this episode, um, because of the way that all these themes are brought together. Imperioli does a brilliant job with this idea. And I think what's greatest about the idea is actually that it's pretty simple. One character has come close to death. These characters are at different levels involved in a criminal life, and they're all Catholic. What does that mean to them?
2: I always like to pay attention when I'm watching The Sopranos of... of- Usually, the baseline is everyone's lying all the time, right? But w- a lot of truth came out in this, too, and not always on purpose. Uh, the stress of, the, of Christopher being in the hospital really brought the truth out, and especially in that earlier part of the episode. And so I was really listening to when, when characters would be truthful and when they're thinking they're being truthful or be- trying to get the other person to believe they're being truthful, I guess is another word way to say a lie. You can cut that out, but <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> hey, everyone. Gonna, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. But um, but yeah, it was interesting about how the stress brought the truth out, especially where we're talking about good and evil.
0: Where do these characters sit in the larger moral sense? It's a question that uh, these people probably don't ask unless they're confronted with these life and death consequences, and there certainly are here. They're seeing Chris flit in and out of life and they're weighing where is my place in the universe and what 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 is out there is there something larger than all of us and this is a question the show uh explores from time to time and it does so in a pretty bold way here i'm excited to break into it let's go from the top uh we're brought right into essentially i think a day or two after the conclusion of full leather jacket chris is in the icu Great acting here by Di DiMatteo. She just looks in, in great makeup work on the show, uh, their art department. You know, she looks like she's been crying for days and is exhausted and has been at his bedside. And you really feel for her. She was just so, you know, we talked in the last episode about how that scene with Chris and Adriana post-coitus in Full Leather Jacket is just a, a little too happy by half for either of these characters to have been left in that state much longer. Sure. And here we are. Uh, the shoe has dropped, and he is barely clinging on to life.
1: And that seems to be a constant in The Sopranos, is that things cannot be left in balance for long. As soon as any one of these plots become too balanced, something comes to upend it, which is one of the reasons why it's such a great dynamic show to watch, right?
0: You can't really just watch two happy people, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't let anybody be happy for long. And we're establishing a sense of place at this ICU. Sil and Gabriella come in. Gabriella Dante, by the way, played by Maureen Van Zant. Who is Stevie Van Zant's real life wife? Oh, that's wrong. Playing fun. Silvio's real, playing Silvio's wife, uh, which I think is very sweet and very cool. So they have a scene there. They comfort Adriana, and Christopher's mother comes in. She tells Syl she wants the motherfuckers who did this to be quote in agony.
1: Yeah, I I wrote as soon as I saw her that is Christopher's mother. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Yep, hundred percent. Then we get out into the kind of waiting area. This is where most people who have had somebody close to them in in an ICU situation kind of, you know, being an older person now in my 30s, older quote-unquote, you know, I I guess it's all relative, but you know, I've been in these waiting rooms with, with people in precarious medical condition, and uh, they they nailed this vibe well. Everybody's like kind of like alert but tired at the same yeah. time. And that's where
1: you're camped out for days, weeks, whatever. You're the death watch essentially. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's kind of their hell
3: or at least purgatory. Like they're just they just have to wait. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're doing what the like you have to pray. And AJ's like, we are, but it's frustrating. <laughs> We're starting to see some of that fraying. Um, it sets the mood perfectly because it's also clearly a Catholic hospital. Yeah,
0: there's crosses on the wall and stuff. Pussy pauly Tony, they're all stonewalling the detectives. I like that. Sure. They're they're you know this is, uh, as Tony tells Beansy several episodes back when Beansy has his own tragic hospitalization. You know we wash our own dirty laundry. They're not gonna give the detective shit, even if they knew where Matt Bevilacqua is, which they don't. We find out. They're not gonna to give the detective shit. You know they're. No, they're gonna handle this in house. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, what Richie is here to do. Give them an update. I like this recurring theme now. They talked in the last episode about... Uh, I was wondering why the squirrels went quiet. They're talking about <laughs> Richie's negative, quote, negative energies. Pussy refers to fucking negative energies when Richie comes in. And uh, they said he wouldn't show up unless he had something on Matthew. And then they take it outside. a uh, Very quick moment where Polly and, and Richie almost come to blows. Like, Richie's like, what do you got? Back the fuck off. And just, it happens that quick. And then Richie gives the update, they have a potential lead, uh, some, the name of some guy who might know something, but really it's very thin. Tony predicts they're going to have somebody coming to them within a matter of, it's just a matter of time, before somebody comes to us to score some points. Thoughts on our opening here, the opening moments through this uh, outside scene, what happens in it, the players, have, the players and the story we're getting.
1: Actually quite suspenseful. Uh, like quite good setup, like enticing for a viewer, exciting. We're um, dropped
0: right in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, you, Chris could die. Uh, I mean, you know, that could happen. We don't know how and where we're gonna find Matt. Uh, you know, it, there's an excitement to it. Uh, when are we gonna get him? How are we gonna get him? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just it's incredible. The stakes are very high. You know, and that that's good. It really is...
3: A, um, it, there's a, Yeah, there is a tension here. And I think also it nicely sets up right from the beginning that there's some complications. Because ostensibly, and the characters often even say as much, that what they need to do really is be together. They need to come together and, and hold together in this difficult moment, which families do in weathering the storm. But we see that there's a tension here, that there's breakage. Number one, we as the audience know that Pussy... Being here and being emotionally supportive is one thing, but we know that he's a traitor. And we now know that these guys generally don't like Richie because, oh yeah, he's a fucking dick. Um, and <laughs> mouths off to Polly, who outranks him, once again, not smart. And obviously this is only going to fray more and more because shortly after this, Carmel and Tony are going to go home and they're not quite on the same page either. so
2: It's nice because, um, as per usual, you feel like you're just there. I felt like I was in the the hospital waiting because I also care about what happens to Christopher. I also don't want him to die. He's one of my favorite characters, particularly coming off D girl. Right. And, and, um, so I was there, I was just with it. Right. Waiting to make sure everything was okay. But also on the familial sense of, I know what's going on and I know all the gossip and that kind of is what comes up at the hospital too. Who's good with who and who shouldn't be here. You know? Yeah. All of that.
0: Very real. They did a great job of dropping you right in the middle of it, which is admirable, not easy to do, and uh, they did a great job. Moving on here, uh, we get a little scene while the guys are outside between Gabriela and Carmela. We're talking about this character, Ralphie Ritaldo, not a character we've met or, you know, no spoilers here, but we we'll, won't meet. Um, oh. Who, <laughs> who uh, knocked up his Brazilian Gumar. And uh, we get a kind of a, a little bit of a lingering shot on Carmela for a moment there. Something about that doesn't sit well. Then it comes up in the next scene. They're both in bed, exhausted. It's been a rough couple days. Tony uh, tells Carmela, you know, you might want to get some sleep. We got another rough day ahead of us. Uh, she mentions she's probably not going to sleep. Will the light bother? Very realistic, believable scene. Tony's exhausted and uh, she brings it up. Odd timing, considering what's going on, but uh, she feels compelled in this moment to bring up to Tony this Ralphie Ritaldo situation and asking him, do you know, do you know what a bast what a bastard child would do to this family? Kind of throwing this on Tony. We haven't dealt with Tony's open infidelity in a while, and this situation with the Brazilian Gumar has ignited something in her. So let me pose this question. Why now? And what do we think of this amazing scene and the really rough last line of it uh, where Tony basically tells Carmela, I had her tested for AIDS. What do you think I am? <laughs> Jeez. Mr. Sensitivity, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the I
3: I get what you mean about the timing be feeling horrible, actually, but I don't think it's an accident. I think everything that has been happening has either reminded Carmela or brought it home for her that their life and its comforts are provisional and they can be taken away at any time by any number of dynamics, which is why she's thinking in terms of risk. You're putting us all at risk, which is why when your wife is thinking of those various risks, you don't talk to her about AIDS. (laughs) So I think that's what's going through her mind and why it comes up in this way.
2: Yeah, I I don't think the timing is odd at all. I think it is as outsiders looking into this pillow talk, but it's not odd when you're stressed out like this. Your mind reels, right? It mm. makes you scared, it makes you contemplate, where do I fit in? How, what would happen if this if something similar happened to my immediate family, what would happen to us? Similar to Paul's point, right? So she's probably already having this fight in her head and she's probably waited quite a while to, since the since hearing that, mm. uh, to say something, because it's just reeling and reeling and reeling.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, jumping off that, I think, two things. I think it's it's not really randomly brought up, uh, as as you've said, both of you. Um, I think this is something that's always been on a low boil in Carmela's mind, right? She's never been comfortable with the whole Irena situation, at least not totally. And now she feels like the family is threatened, right? Christopher is mortally wounded, and there is a matriarchal sense in her that feels like the family is threatened, and she needs to protect it. And this, to her, is an open door to, I don't know, another attack. It's some more vulnerability. This, uh, needs to be protected. This, this, this is, this is something that could hurt them.
0: I want to wait more to talk about this specific thing until we get to the scene, but there's a quote later that Tony gives Melfi that says everyone involved knows the stakes. And to what degree do these people want these stakes thrown up in their face? Uh, you know, right. it, it's, it's Carmela knows that this is an ongoing thing with Tony and she's made her peace with it for the moment as best she can. As she tells Dr.
2: Phil in the previous... Or, uh, Father Phil in the
0: previous... <laughs> Dr. Phil. Both are that's equally a total... useless,
2: so... <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
0: As she tells Father Phil in the <laughs> previous season. Uh, you know, she's made her peace with it as best she can. But, look, that's very upsetting. I mean, infidelity in a marriage, in a normal marriage, is obviously a horrible thing and, and, and a, a crippling problem. To a couple's happiness together. Um, this situation where it's ongoing is also problematic. What was really, I think, disgusts Carmela to the point where she gets up and fucking leaves the bed is not just the the high risk involved, but like the fact that Tony There's no argument for a crime of passion here. He took he, he the fact that he was so deliberate and thought out in this affair that he thought to go take her for an AIDS test. This is a planned, premeditated affair and that's just too much for Carmela to swallow at this particular point in time and so she gets up and gets out of the bed. That's that's not something you want to hear. I mean, even if it, uh, if it if it were just something that happened in the heat of a moment, it would be bad enough on a marriage, but the fact that he's premeditated it enough to take his Gumar for an AIDS test is just horrifying to me. Um, but
2: won't entertain a vasectomy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she brings up that uh, he she she wants him to have a vasectomy, which is where... I this... think it's a
2: reasonable request to your husband, who is just blatantly and yeah. adulterous, but... Right.
1: And by the way, at this point in the episode, she's not asking that he end his affair or end future affairs. Nope. She she's just saying can't... that you don't have a bastard child by another woman get yeah. this vasectomy, which is also interesting, because just... it's like, you know, she's almost saying, I can't prevent him from never cheating again, but at least we won't have
0: any kids by this, you know? Yeah, she says, if you're going to keep doing what you do... At least take, you know, yeah, that's rough. It's a, it's an uncomfortable scene, especially given the backdrop of everything else that's going on. And then we get back to uh, Lover's Prayer, which picks up and kind of, ca- the song carries us through the episode, the, diff- the three different verses of it. Very well done. This is a big contender for favorite music cue in season two it's perfect. Uh, when we get to our retrospective. It's just so well done. It's a perfect song. It's, it's, it's employed perfectly. It moves and drives the episode through to the next beat. When we kind of get a little bit of uh, back to the back to the ICU, this is like back to the hospital music. And um, Paulie's sanitizing his hands. Pussy's sitting there with the shaving kit, just kind of looking around. Adriana's asleep. Code blue in the ICU. Heartbreaking acting here when Aid sees that they're that's Chris's room and they're working on him and he's flatlined. And Paulie and Pussy have to kind of hold her and she's crying and breaking down. Very well done performances. Um, and then we see Tony answer the phone at home and I've mentioned before how Edie Falco can do no wrong. This is such a good episode for her. Uh, yeah, she fucking kills it. I love that moment where she pokes back in at the phone call and they just look at each other and it's like, back to the hospital, we go, uh, maybe they got an hour or two of sleep, you know, and then back out.
1: And, uh, and so relatable. I think so many of us have been there where you're uh, waiting a long time in the hospital. You go home for a couple of hours. You have to go back, and you get the bad phone call. And mm-hmm. they look so sleep-deprived when they walk back in. It's just like they didn't shower. They just threw on whatever was easy, whatever was lying over the bedroom chair, and walked into that There's ICU, so much of, you know, unknown.
0: Yeah. You know, when you're in that situation, do I leave? Do I stay? Right. What, if, what if I leave and something happens? Right. You know, it's, it's, it's rough. Anybody who's been there recognizes this right? And then they get there and are told that uh, his heart stopped and he's potentially in a lot of trouble. And Carmella ventures off on her own and delivers this prayer. Let's talk about this prayer. This is, uh, in my opinion, some out of the park work by Edie Falco. She can do no wrong in my book. She delivers this monologue. We're seeing Chris in surgery. We're seeing the ICU. Tony's comforting Adriana. Very touching. They're really taking their time and showing the human side of all this. And uh, I just think it's uh, very well done. Any thoughts on this little sequence, Carmela's prayer, the getting back to this idea of prayer and the sense of ICU there?
1: One of the fascinating threads throughout the series is Carmela's relationship with her religion. And beyond good and evil, God is very real for Carmela. So when she speaks this prayer out loud, praying to God, to Jesus, uh, to give Chris vision, right, To, to guide him through this, to let him live and to give him sight... Uh, it's it's a place of deep earnestness, really. And, and she acknowledges uh, their sin, right? And mm-hmm. and the consequences of their sins. Um, but she's hoping that he'll be carried through and he will be redeemed. I'm sure that she is investing her own hopes in that for herself as well, seeing perhaps Chris's redemption as a symbolic rep- uh, redemption for the family. Uh, I think there's more in it, what I'm saying is, I think there's more in that prayer than just Christopher's life. Sure. You know, I think there's there's a lot there. And she's been so... Turned around between her, you know, encounters with Father Phil and her own contemplating of her religion, but it's it's interesting to see her in this place in this moment, for sure. I mean, when things have gotten as bad as they can get, she still turns to God. You know, other characters are not praying, not authentically, not actual prayer.
3: Right. It's a very powerful moment. Edie Falco crushes it as always, and I think there's something to Carmela's connection to religion later in this episode. Tony will accuse Carmela of being only religious when it suits her. Let me save you the time. He's right. Uh, (laughs) She does that all the time. She comes back to it. She moves away from it. But no more, no less than Tony talks about poor Italian-Americans when it suits him or talks about his code Mm. when it suits him. So all these characters have been just totally overwhelmed by this, and you're seeking the various comforts wherever that may be. And I think for Carmella, there is a searching here. But what will end up happening, I think, much like Polly, is that you're talking to other people about it and talking to Chris about what he went through, but you're trying to square it with yourself. Mm. So that's kind of the journey that these characters are on. But the, And this is the beginning of that journey for Carmella and how she'll get to a certain depth. Once again, Carmella, though duplicitous and a liar like a lot of the other characters, also has a kind of awareness or imagination and an openness that will lead her to a self-awareness that I think is admirable by the end of the episode. So
2: Uh, this crew doesn't so much care for the mirror being held up. And there's a lot to say about, you know, if Christopher can't make it, what does that mean for Tony? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my kids? you know Christopher so far and again I will respect your no spoiler policy but Christopher represents kind of the hope of the younger generation mm. right but if he's if if he can't make it through or if he's going to hell like what chance do do Tony and I have
0: I'm reminded when you say that of the scene uh, earlier this season where Carmela is fighting to save Angie Bombacci's marriage but in doing so she's actually looking for reasons to stay in her own marriage she's mm-hmm. fighting for her marriage and she's fighting for yeah chris's soul she loves chris we all love chris but she's fighting for her soul she's fighting for tony's soul uh she has to believe in redemption cuz other than that if without that uh, this is a very bleak universe she's found herself in. <laughs> and, and
1: speaking to your point, the camera starts on her with her prayer and actually will check in on everybody mm-hmm. while she is praying. We'll get like a voiceover almost as it the camera rolls over everyone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I think Tony has his arm around Adriana in that moment as we were kind of scanning along.
0: Yeah, beautifully lit scene. I like the way she's lit. She's wearing white and looks very kind of angelic and sweet there. It's a very well done sequence. Yeah,
1: But specifically asks, grant him vision, which is yeah. what we will... Uh, see as we go forward
0: correct cut to the next scene uh i hesh is one of these characters i always <laughs> smile when he pops up of course hesh has all the ratings on all the hospitals knows well, the well this
1: hospital. is always goes back to paul <laughs> calling this this is like the show's sophisticated antisemitism right that hesh is not a doctor but like can speak the doctor's language because every time the writer has Hesh do anything, it's always like, oh, well, doctors are Jewish and Hesh is Jewish and of course Hesh knows everything about medicine also. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is, they've played this game with Hesh a bunch of times. Uh, Oh, the Hesh has a
0: two-line repartee with the doctor and Paulie's like, what the fuck are you two talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Paulie always with the laughs. Uh, That's not the last Paulie laugh we're going to have this hour. Um, We find out that when the doctor comes out that Chris was clinically dead for at least a minute and he has asked in his he's but he's stabilized they find out he's he's okay he's awake and they may be out of the woods as far as is he going to die so that's a moment of relief at this point and maybe 15 minutes into the episode or so and uh, he's been asking twice for paulie and once for tony interesting combination you'd think maybe adriana or or something but uh Tony and Paulie get called in. We get this sweet scene. Chris is uh, out of it. He's definitely morphined up. Tony's being very kind of sweet with him. He Chris apologizes. I'm sorry. I know you're mad at me. Nobody's mad at you. Chris describes a near-death experience, which has been, you know, it's kind of one of the phenomenons of modern... Uh, medicine and spirituality as people see do seem to go through this. Lily and I had a brief conversation. Uh, we're not sure. I mean, th- th- you know, we'd have to do a little bit more digging on the science of it. But like, you know, it, does your body flood with certain chemicals that might create certain hallucinations in high stress environments? Stuff like you know, like DMT. Not to I tr- I promise, folks, this is not going to turn into an episode of the Joe Rogan uh, podcast here. But <laughs> you know, these these hallucinogenic drugs or 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 you know. Hormones that pump into your blood at, at moments like this, are they a gateway to other dimensions or is it just fucking with your brain? Who knows here? But Chris reports a vision of hell. Yeah. And the vision of hell, again, provided as sort of a laugh line, is, quote, their <laughs> hell, which is uh, the Emerald Piper, an Irish bar where it's St. Patrick's Day every day for all eternity.
2: Sounds like my hell too, Chris.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely. <laughs> I didn't actually think of that as funny. Really? You read that as a laugh line? That's I, a laugh line. I think so. It's like sort of like you know what 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 would hell be for Italians An Irish bar where it's St Patrick's Day forever. Oh, oh sure. I think that's funny.
1: Yeah. I don't I, think
0: he played it for laughs. I don't think anybody in the scene played it for laughs. Tony chuckled a little bit at it, but I don't. You know, I don't. No, I don't. I, I think Chris is being sincere, but mm-hmm. I think that's a funny idea. That like that would be hell. Uh, it's a horrifying hell, but it's still funny that that's what he would conceive of as hell.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I don't know how to reconcile with this. I, uh, so I Jordan, personally, I'm agnostic. Not really sure what's going on with my beliefs. I really don't know. But I think Chris went to hell. Well, there's... I, I, I think in the mythos of the show, I think it actually happened. There's
0: a good question here to, as to what is real and what isn't. And... Tony's very dismissive. Paulie is kind of immediately intrigued when he hears Mikey said three o'clock. Well, as Lily said
1: before, everyone uh, reconciles with themselves, right, in this. Uh, they all heard what they wanted to Correct. hear when he says that. He says, I'm going to hell, T, and then he reports the vision of hell. But Tony hears his version of that, which is, all right, yeah, morphine, drugs, dreams, whatever. Pauly hears, okay, yeah, maybe, also purgatory, probably, whatever. But nobody takes him as face, at face value, and later on, when we check in again, we'll talk about it. He repeats, this is
0: what I saw. Mm. There's, <laughs> yeah, I want to, I think I want to save the discussion for whether he actually saw hell or this was a hallucination for a scene we're going to get a little bit later. But that is a very interesting question and in how everybody's interpreting this information. But it's delivered. It says Mikey Palmisi and Brendan Fallone were hanging out. Bally says those two hated each other. Uh, and he says he had a message for you guys. Three o'clock. And we're just kind of left on that. Uh, Paulie says they know he likes his chemistry set a little too much. Uh, <laughs> you know, Referring, of course, to the morphine. But we're going to come back to this. What's real? What isn't? And how The Sopranos drops the very real possibility of a supernatural universe, which is crazy to think about.
3: Tony and Not... Paulie also have very different
0: reactions to this. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: Tony, as you said, is fairly dismissive. It was a dream. Forget about it. Polly wants to keep asking questions. Tony's the one who says, let's go. But what's interesting is that for the first time in this episode, we're actually going to get into Polly's life a bit and he, how he's he, okay, a psychic isn't necessarily, it's not a therapist, but he's going to ask these hard questions of himself. And we also even get part of his home life a girlfriend that's important to him and her kids that he's sweet with. So it's interesting that they both get asked these questions. Or they both are challenged in this way, and we get into their lives, and Polly really has to wrestle with these questions. So
0: immediately out of the room, he asks Sylvia, "What time was the Mikey hit?" He you know, like it was morning. No, 10, 11.
2: <laughs> Polly's so literal. He's so binary. You know, in in prior, when they go to Italy and he doesn't like the food, it's like he stopped at age seven. <laughs> And I know that education, I, I know that education is a part of it and that's all fine, but he really does have this little kid outlook, right? You know, we're, I'm getting ahead of ourselves in the same episode, but you know, he basically has to be, you know, put down by his mom, his girlfriend, right? She, she calms him just like she calms her own kids in the same room, right? <laughs> He's so, um, there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is good, there is bad. He just doesn't have it. He, he doesn't have the any kind of sophistication to get around that.
1: You're totally right. Also, Paulie's like the ultimate follower. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, he we know so little of his history, right? He was in the mob. Oh, sorry, sorry, he was in the military. Right. He was in the mob. He was in jail for a long time. Then he's back in the mob. He's always following somebody else. Right? He's never really had to think about these deep things on right. his own. Mm.
0: Yeah, this is unusual for him to be so directly confronted with it. We get into this Melfi scene. This is a phenomenal scene. Another great two, two episodes in a row where we have particularly good melfi scenes and they can't decide
1: if i'm disappointed in melfi in this scene or actually really proud of her right this is a crazy
0: one well it's walking she's in a she she quotes to elliot later on she's in a moral never never land with this patient not wanting to judge but to treat uh this is interesting first of all just on the surface it's a very compelling conversation this is the conversation you have wanted melfi to have like you know like what's the deal here with this thing and they get into it. She asks about, you know, he's giving her some, some. He, they're talking about the vasectomy situation, but it's a little dry. Tony doesn't really want to get into it. He's had another, you get a sense he's like been thinking this thing over to death. And uh, she asks about Chris. I like this little moment where he warns her without warning her to kind of stay off the subject. She's like, have, you found, have they found the guy that, that, that did this? And Tony's response is, no, have you? And she says, I'm not trying to pry. I know that that part of your life, but you've said, you know, you've said before that you love this young man. Tony feels compelled to tell Melfi about Chris's vision and that he's all fucked up about going to hell. And Melfi sees this as an opportunity. Tony is um, undoubtedly vulnerable in this moment. And she exploits that. Now, in a way, it's her job to exploit that. But in a way, she also does take a, a stand here at a very critical moment. She makes Tony explain why he doesn't deserve hell and Tony goes into this speech about um, who hell is for, the cannibals and the sick bastards that molest kids, the Hitlers, the Pol Potts, and that we're soldiers. Soldiers don't go to hell. They kill other soldiers, but everyone involved knows the stakes, and she challenges him. So that justifies everything you do, and Tony is justifying it. These are codes, orders. He gets into this diatribe about Italian immigrants and how they wanted a piece of the action and didn't want to be the worker bees for the Morgans and the Rockefellers. And Melfi keeps pushing back. Tony tells her, you pick now to act like Betsy fucking Ross, but my nephew's in the hospital.
3: Uh, uh, yeah, another impressive showing from the strong silent type. Um, he goes there and <laughs> bitches and then she pushes him and he gets cranky. My nephew's in the hospital. He might not get out. No, he's getting out. We know that already. Mm-hmm. You're You're pushing it. Mm. Um, and we know it. Um, this episode has him emotionally frayed. I um, I was absolutely proud of Melfi for pushing mm. him in this way. I think that, similarly, she's going to rake herself over the coals, but that's just... that's her. I think mm. that's what she's going through with this patient. But isn't yeah, that, it's a great scene.
2: Isn't that her job? To push him? I mean, if we think about what, psychologically, what might Tony's problems be, right... It's her job to question and push him and make him think about other ways and get him out of his routine to help him learn, right? Absolutely. And so if she doesn't push him on this and 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 call him on his shit, you know, it's a he's tough, not going to learn.
0: It's a tough thing, though, because Elliot says to her in their therapy scene later, which we'll talk more about in detail then, but he does say something. He asks her a critical question. What do you hope to achieve with this man? Here's the issue with treating a guy like Tony from Elfie, and this is kind of a fundamental... This is so compelling to me because it really gets to the fundamental nature of their relationship in in why they're in therapy and what either of them want to get out of this. That's a big question. How does Melfi treat a guy like Tony without passing judgment on his lifestyle? You know what I mean?
1: Yes. You know, as a therapist, I would imagine you try not to pass judgment on your patients. I I think you can meet them with good questions. You can meet them with uh, some degree of compassion. I think she comes very close to moralizing. In this scene which i think is it's bad it's it's good in the sense that like you know we hope it will lead tony to being a better person or putting him in a better place but i i don't know that that's her job do you know what i mean mm. I, I don't think those questions were helping him work through anything what was he going to discover that he's actually a bad person uh, i think he knows he does bad things but we've already heard what his opinion is on his morals and the decisions he chooses to make in this life. He's a soldier. It's war. Everyone knows the stakes. To him, this is all fair. Right? If you accept those stakes, you've got to do certain things. It's a business. We're soldiers, he repeats again. We follow, co- we follow codes and orders. He's immune to her moralizations because he's internalized this code that makes everything sort of acceptable. Yeah. What, what can she do with that? Elliot poses the right question. What do you hope to achieve? Is he going to not be a mobster at some point? Is he going to go back on this code? Is he going to give up the idea that we're businessmen and soldiers and say, what instead we're all bad people and we deserve to go to hell. What was she hoping to get out of it? I don't know. But again, as the viewer, I'm proud of her. I'm like, you should have said this sooner, but I'm also like, but where do you go from here? What's the next session?
0: It's, it's an acceleration of what we were just talking about in our previous episode, where their therapy is, they're both kind of stumbling, and they're trying... Right, to, leading
1: each other into darkness. Uh, Neither one knows where they're heading.
0: Uh, uh, the moral
3: never-never land. The, um, I think another thing is that it's probably maddening to treat Tony in some respect, because I do this with my therapist sometimes, too, by the way. I hope he's not listening. But <laughs> sometimes I go in with a, I guess, a sense, a judgment that the way I'm behaving is not okay, And then I actually sometimes might get a little mad when my therapist doesn't, like, lay down the law for me. Oh my
0: god, I've had that same thing too, where I go in and I'm like, no, this is bullshit. And they're like, you're being too hard on yourself. Right, as if that's their job. Right. To, like, be your parent. You have to, like, check in with
3: them. Like, going to therapy is like going to the principal's office. In the last episode, Full Leather Jacket, Tony insisted in Melfi's face, I gave my daughter a car to rub her face in shit. And Melfi's like, I think you might have been trying to do something good. And he's like, I'm not talking anymore. And in this one, he's got all these bland rationalizations and she challenges him and he gets mad. Yeah, I'd be be crying to my therapist too. I wouldn't know what to do with a patient like that.
1: I have a challenge. These things that he says, we're soldiers, it's a business, uh, everybody knows the stakes. Does he thoroughly believe this or are these kind of like, are they empty platitudes that he would say if this moral conundrum was ever brought up to him? The second one that you said yeah the second one. <laughs> I mean I mean like are these just the speech sounds almost rehearsed Tony's an intelligent guy he could have come up with these things off the cuff but it sounded like a conversation he's had before do you know what I mean mm. certainly maybe he is a young man with a conversation I imagine with an older gangster being like you know it, uh, these things we do that you're know, reconciling with with killing people what Christopher was going through when he did his first hit in season one You know, Tony must have gone through this at some point, too. Did someone tell him, it's okay, we're soldiers. Soldiers kill other soldiers. This is a business. Everybody knows the stakes. Who told him what to get him to be okay with this, and is he actually okay with it?
2: He believes that the way Carmela believes in God. So then he does. Uh, he believes that when, as a as a defense mechanism, as a way to feel justification in your life, right? Well, at least I'm a religious woman. I go to church. I couldn't... I'm not a bad person. I go to church every Sunday. Sure. I, I do penance. I I, so I confess. The, so
1: this is talismanic. This is a talisman against Melfi's moralizing. Sure. That should work on anyone else, by the way, but doesn't work I on I
2: think him. this is his line once, once challenged because he... Tony's too intelligent to be so delusional to actually believe that all the time.
0: Well, Mm. that's what makes... I think
2: it's one of those lies you tell yourself enough that you believe it, but he knows deep down that that's not true.
0: Paulie has a similar thing going on later in the episode Mm. where he believes he's, quote, guarded he's supposed he should be guarded from all this stuff. He had a, you know these things covered by his donations. I actually
1: want to talk about that scene when we get to it. Oh, want... absolutely. Well, yeah.
0: we're going to get there. It's a little bit later, but
1: That actor also uh, sorry, that scene also features an actor I really like. Want oh, to yeah. talk about. yeah, he's great. Oh, but um yeah. that's uh Peter McRobbie. He's great. Yeah.
0: But t- t- bringing it back to this point that's that's stressed in this scene is like that's what's so fascinating about this whole thing is that these characters have wrapped themselves in these things that they have to tell themselves to justify their lifestyle. Carmela has the the Christianity. Um, Tony has this soldier's code. Paulie has his donations to the Catholic Church. He thinks that's enough. But Chris is sitting there in bed you know, as a reminder that, hey, that all might be bullshit. Hell might wait at the end of this road. What hell looks like, I don't know. Maybe it's an Irish bar for Chris. Maybe it's utter ruination or nothingness for the rest of them. But are there justifications and validation is going to be enough to save them and this question of salvation and vision it's all just so big warm tingly stuff
2: (laughs) i know we're talking about tony and melfi's office but to i'll get back to that it'll all connect but tony has to get a vasectomy because if he does have a child out of wedlock it unravels her entire facade right She can pretend nothing's going on in her head, even though she knows. We know she knows. He told her in this episode again, right? It will unravel everything. So if I am not a descendant of the Cosa Nostra... Cosa Nostra. Cosa Nostra. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) Cut that out, too. The the Cosa Nostra. Nope. um, (laughs) If I don't believe that I'm a soldier doing this, everything unravels and I'm just a gangster. Yeah, we can't just be something. It has to be our purpose. Nobody believes they're the villain in their own story. Right.
0: Mm.
2: I'm the protagonist in my story. So if I'm the protagonist, my husband can't have a a baby with his Gumar. And if I'm the protagonist, I'm fighting for a mission. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. I like that a lot.
3: That's true. Lily, I think when you the point you're making is so key. Like, when Carmella says to Tony, do you have any idea what a bastard child would do to this family? In part, she's
0: saying what it would do to me and yeah. who I know I am. Yeah. Yeah. Big questions. That's why I love this episode so much. They really... Some episodes are very personal of this show, and then others just broaden the scope to universal things like this, and it's just so fascinating to see these characters in this niche of life having these thoughts and these conversations it's it's you know probably a lot of conversations that people who were analyzing the show up to this point had in their kitchens about what tony does and what Melfi should be doing to treat him great Mm -hmm. shit we're gonna move on here because i'm sure a lot of these topics are going to come back around in the back half but uh we get this hilarious moment and pathetic moment of paulie laying in bed waiting for the clock to strike 3 a.m and uh he pops up he hears wind chimes He's there with his Gumar. She seems lovely. Paulie, uh, we get a little bit of more information on Paulie. We haven't had much of his personal life, and we find out that he's not married. Uh this is a Gumar of his. And yeah. she has her own kids. Again, didn't I
1: didn't find this scene funny. I'm not. Maybe I'm <laughs> I think I have the wrong read on this episode. No, I'm so no, sorry. No, no. No. I
0: you're you're we're allowed to have different reactions to it, man. I think it's it's funny that he's sitting there with a clock, like, just waiting. That is funny. Okay, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. I don't know. I was just,
1: I, I didn't laugh. I was, you know, I don't know. I
2: just always find Polly innately funny. He's he is. He's got such, oh, he's got such big features. The way he opens his eyes like a Muppet. Like, it's just, <laughs> I think that's how I see him. In yeah. the show, yeah, a lot of times.
0: No, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's very tormented, and this is dark stuff, but it, you know. Well, 3 o'clock has a lot of significance, right?
1: We'll find out in the plot exactly the significance of 3 o'clock, allegedly, but um, 3 o'clock is, uh, it's brought up in multiple horror films. Is like Demons Will Disturb You at 3 a.m. because it's in Mocking of the Holy Trinity. The Ghost of Christmas Future visits Scrooge at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, th- there's this this feeling of dread. It's It's the most hopeless time of night, right? It is the dead of night. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, there's something very ominous about it. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It wasn't that funny
0: to me. Well, he's scared out of his mind. I get it. <laughs> Here's why I
3: did think it was funny. He is scared and he's looking for answers and the girlfriend tells him a pointless story
0: about a wedding. <laughs> um, I, love, I love that story. So,
3: there, so there's one question about 3 o'clock. What if it doesn't fucking mean anything at all? Right. Which is why, for example, the, the story then doesn't cut to another thread. It cuts right from that to Polly going to the hospital to see somebody that he ostensibly can get answers from
0: deliberately wakes Chris up oh yeah is, i love great the, i wrote that moment down cuz it's like michael Imperially, i love the writing here polly jostles a chair very deliberately to wake him up Paul says, I'm just tidying up. Go back to sleep. And Chris responds, tidying up. <laughs> like, you're, you're yeah. not, you're not... Every scene is about the opposite of what it appears to be about.
3: Right. On the surface, this is Polly going to say, yeah, you didn't go to hell, but Polly's uh, looking yeah. to save himself.
1: Right. And to Lily's point, um, Polly asks very literal questions about Chris's vision. Was it hot? Yeah. Did the folks have horns or the buds of horns? Those,
0: those goat bumps. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, because in Polly's mind, it's <laughs> a binary. Devil, this is what hell is like. There's the fire is and heat. The devil's red. He has the it. devil's red. They've got horns. Hell
0: is hot. Nobody's ever, you know.
1: <laughs> right. So then, this idea of purgatory is brought up. You that went perhaps, to purgatory. Yeah, friend. you saw a vision of of purgatory. Chris does a little bit of questioning. What is purgatory? It's a little detour on the way to paradise, which is, of course, the title of our episode. The bigger question, or the or the bigger piece for analysis here, is that. Uh, by definition of what Pauly thinks purgatory could be, which is like a holding place until he, get, he too will get into heaven in 6,000 years, is, you know, what if this whole structure is false? Uh, what if there is no afterlife? What if there is no purgatory? What if in fact life is the whole experience and that heaven and hell is all contained within life? Or if there is some kind of afterlife experience, what if there is in fact no purgatory and the little detour was your life? uh big 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 philosophical questions especially for religious folks
2: well especially for catholics who are led to believe that what you do now affects later well if there is no later what was the point
0: right Mm. yeah yeah polly's really wrestling here and he's he's uh (laughs) his i don't know where the fuck by the way i have no clue what his source was on that math equation? You add up all your mortal sins, multiply that. Like, S- I can't. Someone th- told can't him that.
2: <laughs> I can't find that anywhere. Someone, someone Because, told like him a that. child, someone <laughs> told him that, and he latched onto it. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, I
3: mean, there was a time in the history of the Catholic Church when literally you could buy spots
1: in heaven. Correct. With patronage, wow. right? Uh, so indulgences. Indulgences. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Um, but like, actually, he's not so far off. I, I mean, yes, the math is ridiculous, but like i i've had rosary beads like any good catholic i stole something all right take out your rosary beads and do a do a lot of the rosary beads and also you know 20 hail marys and 50 our fathers it is that kind of a system Hmm. so i yes it's childish but i don't blame him for putting some faith in that because it's kind of the kind of thing you get told in in a way
0: yeah I like his confidence that he could do 6,000 days standing (laughs) on his head like a couple of days here in eternity (laughs) terms. Yeah, funny. So funny. But also very sad and and pathetic and dark. Right. We get uh, Melfi and Elliot now. We talked a little bit about this scene already, but Melfi is in tears. She's scared. The first time she's taken a stance, it comes out that something that had been hinted at in previous episodes and even hinted that Elliot was kind of onto it already, but she's drinking. Um, Sugar substitutes. Yeah, yes, exactly. This is uh, like we talked about. Um, I think we addressed most of the major themes that pop out in this scene too, but it's it's basically the idea that these two are leading each other into the dark with no no headlights. The, the there There's no trajectory here. He asks, what do you hope to achieve with this man? Yeah, what do you hope to achieve with me? That's a deflection. She doesn't have an answer for him. He's uh, actually right. Oh yeah, so it is a facile analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of one of the rare times I'll agree with Dr. Elliot Kupferberg on this show. Um, he he
1: <laughs> uh, he's, he's an odd character. He is buffoonish, but uh, occasionally does get it really right on.
0: Yeah,
3: and this is also one of the rare moments when, in their therapy, Melfi can't like clap back at him in the same way because usually Melfi is so skilled that even in her own therapy she can go back and forth with him but she's a mess. She I really felt for her. Yeah. Um even if some like emotionally it felt like she's really been through it and I don't know for example necessarily if her fear of Tony is uh totally rational. But again, that doesn't necessarily matter. Like it's her her son up at Bard feeling too exposed, she is gone to the edge here and it's 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 messing with her. I'm not used to seeing Melfi with a pile of Kleenex. yeah use Kleenex next to her mm-hmm. having to wipe her eyes. And you know
0: yeah.
2: Dr. Elliot too just to great point Paul, just to go back a little bit. he has to be both buffoonish and smart because if he were only buffoonish, why would she stay? This shows too too smart for that. We would all know that she'd go find another if he weren't suiting her at mm. a little bit, right? He has to be right sometimes for her to buy into the therapy itself. Mm. She wouldn't waste
0: her time. Yep. Very at
1: least true. his water bottle didn't make an appearance this Thank episode. Thank God, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's
0: how we know that this was a scene where he was actually onto something.
1: Right, they're like, now play this one for real, Bogdanovich. Leave that behind the desk.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that behind the I love the, the idea that they left that prop as part of the set. It's so essential to his character that oversized <laughs> water jug she gives him this tripe about oh, that's a professional and ethical responsibility that's just another character on the soprano's lying i don't buy that for a second that's the line she tells herself you know that's that's about as real as carmela's catholicism or to- that's a convenient thing Tony's code. that's her convenient yeah, right. yeah it's a convenient go-to that's the therapist uh that's like you know that's the written pr line that's not that's not legitimate and uh, she says i'm scared And, you know, we the viewer are able to help Melfi as much as Elliot is here. All he can say is, I feel for you. That's it. And she kind of hangs her head and we cut to the next scene, which is Pussy and Skip, where Pussy is paranoid. Also, two characters in two scenes in a row now where we have characters who are scared of Tony and receive little to no comfort from the person they're confessing to. Pussy uh, says he's noticing this little glance as he goes on this rant about this weird exchange. They ordered sandwiches, and the order got fucked up, and Pussy got his way. He got the sandwich, but there was a moment, a glance, and Skip tries to talk him through it. He offers very little comfort, and Skip says, hey, you know, drop, lays it down. puss. you know, I'm not, I wasn't the one selling heroin, okay? And, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta do what you would do to a girl you want to fuck. Make him love you. Interesting advice that's going to get uh, used in a, uh, a, a very consequential way very shortly. I hate Skip. He sucks. I
1: hate that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the actor's doing fine work. I just I hate the character.
3: Yeah, this is a great gyre on which the episode turns for Big Pussy because in the first sequence he was at the hospital and um, actually was pretty vital, it seemed, to comforting Adriana at one point and another point when Tony has his arm around her. Pussy is out of focus in the background, alone, yeah. and it's kind of ominous. And here we're at this midpoint. This episode, largely for the other characters, is the emotional and spiritual consequences of choosing this life. Pussy is dealing with the emotional consequences of betraying this life. Amen. And uh, and so yeah, it's as you said, uh, what like treat him like a girl. You'd want to fuck, make him love you, and um, and yeah, I I was seething with anger for skipping this too, and then they meet out of the way i think somewhere near downtown newark and pussy gets out of the car big wide shot and behind the car where this fbi guy is meeting with his mob informant is a building in old newark that says mutual benefit <laughs> <laughs> mutual benefit Not an life. accident yeah. wow yeah. it's a real building it's over 100 years old it's where the old mutual life insurance company was i just thought and, and of course it's kind of falling down i was like this you know oh man so. great, great Good catch great
0: catch and we're back in the hospital room and uh i feel for carmella here i laugh not because it's necessarily funny but uh, she's kind of makes a fool of herself here she was lied to tony gave her some story <laughs> in, a, in a scene we never saw that he went up to heaven and saw his dad's Jesus. There, it was beautiful <laughs> saw Jesus. and he lays it on he's like I, I carmella i didn't go to i went to hell carmella uh <laughs> uh, we
1: miss a quick scene uh, just before that with uh, Chris's mother. Very briefly shows up and says that she'll bring him breakfast the next morning. Yes, right. I just I only notable because the peppers and egg sandwich is brought up right. again. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so. nice on, on the round the round bread. bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the round. Does she mean a roll? I think. Yeah. it's <laughs> Oh, okay. The round
0: bread.
2: The fuck? <laughs> As opposed to the long bread.
1: Joe Montessante
0: What the fuck are you talking about? I don't about? think round bread is specific enough. Maybe I haven't lived in Jersey long enough for that to make sense. I've never heard that. Phrase. i just heard. I just thought of roll. That's but, all but I think a roll. But but there's a. Uh, is it a hard roll? Is it a Portuguese? Like what is a hard, what is a round bread? I don't know. I would, I, don't have
2: know. S- I would have guessed a hard roll.
0: But it could be a Portuguese.
2: Okay. There's
0: lots of round breads. Could be a whole wheat. I don't know. Could be a sourdough. But I just these I don't are know.
2: all other distinguishers. But I can never again hear peppers. <laughs> and I'm eggs in the bread you know. business. Oh, right. I think uh, I would. Right. know.
1: <laughs> you would know. <laughs> That's true. Peppers
0: and eggs. That's what I should have had. Yeah, peppers and eggs, man. I think Peppers and Eggs, I could be wrong. I haven't looked at this in a while. But I think Peppers and Eggs was the name of like the first Soprano soundtrack album. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, um,
1: yeah, no, Chris tells Carmella he went to hell. Uh, Carmella realizes instantly that she was lied to. And she, it doesn't really miss a beat. Just tells him that he yeah. needs to rededicate his life. To, and Chris is just pumping the
0: morphine throughout the scene. Yeah, I know. Very, yeah, very much like, tsh, tsh. That's the
3: other thing about this, is that there are these questions, and certainly when Polly ends up going to the psychic, I'm starting to wonder about the questions of the presence of the supernatural, which I tend not to believe in. I don't believe in near-death experiences either. It doesn't count. You didn't die. It's called a near-death experience. But it's not so much about what Chris thinks of this. When Chris first had the experience, he seemed obviously spooked. But now he's still in pain, and he just is trying to get through it, and these other characters seem to be projecting onto him the question of what happened here. Chris doesn't even necessarily have a reading mm. of what happened at this point in the episode. No, He's uh, kind of like, says he it. says
0: to Pauly, I wish I had more for you, Paulie, but yeah. that's it, you know. He has, yeah, that, that's very interesting that they're all putting their own spin on it, but Chris has kind of a very neutral telling of it.
1: Well, isn't that the very essence of religious stories, right? A character comes down and says, I spoke to God. I had a vision. I heard a message from a burning bush. And then people take that and they either take it at face value or they run with it and they create a new version of it. Or a version that's acceptable to themselves. You can only believe something as much as you have belief. So every character just meets him where they're at. Polly is all in on the supernatural. Tony is all out on the supernatural. Carmella believes in it, but only so much as it serves her own ends in terms of how much she believes in heaven or Jesus or this kind of moralizing that she does. No one really hears Chris for what he said. Not even Pauly.
0: Mm. Well, well said. Moving along here, we get this scene at home. Uh, I love this scene. Oh, it's this is a brutal argument brutal. between the two of them. Well, uh, particularly she, with AJ, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she, they start, Tony and Carmela, they start talking about the uh, the vasectomy again. It comes back up and, you know, Carmela's mentions, you know, that's not up to me, Tony, it's between you and God. And Tony gives the quote that we've mentioned a few times, you know, Carmela, you and God are the only religious when it suits you. And AJ walks in, so they kind of whisk off to the living room to have this quiet. I can't, this reminds me a little bit of my childhood. My parents would be, you know, they, believe me, they fought loudly and openly uh, many times. But there are, you know, there are these moments when you're a kid, when adults are talking, the kid comes in and then they whisk off to another room and keep whispering. Um, that happens. And so they do that and, uh, God, she fucking gets them on this one. Uh, I, I, just, just, there's no winning the argument after Carmella drops that quote. He says, isn't it, you know, uh, isn't it a sin to undo the good work he's done? And she says, you ought to know you made a living of it. And there's a long pause, longer than you usually get in a TV show, where they're just looking at each other. She just, and he just has nothing. You're unfucking believable, you know that? Well, Um, and then
1: that that collateral damage will then ricochet onto AJ immediately, because he can't beat Carmella,
0: but there's someone he can get. Yep, king of the ricochet, and... AJ drops a tray of lasagna or pasta whatever it is and Tony just well all I I wrote woof for this scene it's just he brutal He completely unmans him. Yeah. There's
1: I I was trying to like think like what is the worst thing you can say to your son, right? So mm-hmm. first he just insulting like his whole being, like his physical self, right? Mm-hmm. You just ate dinner an hour ago. What are you doing to yourself? You know, this is my male heir. Oh my god. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah it's brutal. All AJ actually did was drop a dish. Yeah. I mean really? Yeah, that yeah. was the consequence of dropping a dish. <laughs> that is so unbalanced. that's that's unhinged, yeah, right. Yeah, it's see, a monstrous. I mean,
3: it's the epitome of dysfunction. like th- this whole thing has them all obviously fried and it was, this explosion was coming. It, it's a horrible way for it to happen. I mean, I, I did write down after I watched that scene whatever happened to Gary Cooper because Tony is a whiny fucking bitch and he flips out in this scene it's i think as Jordan said like almost just envisioning the worst thing you could say not to mention the the specifics fucking make my head spin like he's shitting on AJ because of his diet way to lead by example
1: <laughs> yeah
3: and he says to him of this question i guess of like eating and having bad eating habits what the fuck are you doing to yourself coming off of a conversation with his wife about the details of a vasectomy, instead of having a conversation about not cheating on your wife. <laughs> the levels of dysfunction are barely penetrable to me. So the scene is stunning. It's very hard to watch. Somehow it's it seems made worse by the fact that some of it, anyway, initially seems to go right past AJ. Like, he's like, what even just happened? But he gets enough of it, and uh, it, it's, it's tough to watch. And, it's, yeah. um, and I love my dad, and we get along great now, but he could also sometimes ricochet his anger. And in spite of what some teen- teenage boys say about their dad, I think they really usually love their dads, and AJ loves Tony. Mm. So this is hurtful in a way that is not easy to forgive. Yeah. Though Tony's apology later is pretty powerful. We'll yep. come back to it.
1: Well, we'll get there. Good, but not good enough, I would say. No. How How
0: what, what is good enough? Yeah. But yeah. it's the most sincere apology we're ever going to get out of a character like Tony. Yeah. Especially in an episode where he can't confront the responsibility of the life he's chosen. But, uh, you know, it's, it's rough. I, I, I feel very much for AJ there. Especially, you know, growing up as a chubbier kid. You know, I had some elderly relatives—I'm not going to get into the specifics here—who would make some rather insensitive comments about my weight growing up, and that's rough. And to have that not only thrown at you by your father, but in a way that suggests, like, you know, God, what an overall disappointment you are. It's really, really brutal. And Carmela says, come back and apologize. He just keeps walking. Rough. Horrible scene. Doesn't feel good. Tony's been emasculated by this vasectomy conversation and he just dumps all of it right onto AJ for no good reason.
1: Yeah, AJ, uh, you know, we'll see more in the the subsequent scene with AJ, but uh, AJ is feeling the cumulative effects of his father's disappointment in him. This is something that is aggregate through the series uh, unto now and going forward. You know, These things don't go unheard. I mean, yeah, there might be like kind of a dull reaction. I I agree with Paul where I don't know how much gets to him in that moment. But in the reflection later, I mean, this is something that AJ will probably perseverate on for days, weeks, maybe forever. Mm. You know, uh, Tony has unwittingly created a permanent traumatic moment.
2: Yeah, you never forget your parent telling you something like that. Yeah. You you just don't.
1: If If the wait comment wasn't enough, this is my male heir. Yeah, look at that. That means a lot in that family. Yeah. Okay? You're the son in the Italian family of the mob boss in the house on the hill.
0: Mm.
1: This is my male heir? Yeah. And AJ's heard the whole previous conversation, by the way. They're not being quiet. He's in the same room.
3: Yeah. Just yeah. saying. Italian quiet.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paulie wakes up again at the Gumar's house. He's screaming, "You're dragging me to hell!" He's having a nightmare. <laughs> okay, that is funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> <laughs> he wakes the kids up, and uh, you know, Paulie. You know, this is the sweet. This is the sweetest we've seen Paulie too. I like the Paulie. sweeter than Tony was on the last beat. Oh yeah, Jesus. Too. Yeah, and it's, it's not even his own kids. <laughs> takes them all. takes them both back to bed. Offers to go stay somewhere else. I don't need to keep everybody else up with this. Just a fun little scene I don't know if there's much more to be said about that But we're moving the story along This is still haunting Polly. Uh If he's mm. not staying up staring at the clock He's having nightmares It seems that the scene in the hospital
3: With Christopher did for Polly what Polly wanted it to It made him feel better But now that he's still having the nightmares It pushes it forward And the, uh, the young girlfriend is going to suggest this
1: guy Colin He's right. a psychic yeah, so. In Nyack <laughs> So you know quality
2: Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she suggests this guy Colin, Psychic, and Nyack. Then we get this interesting little scene here. A uh, little uh, luck on this part of Pussy. Uh, he's having a, I don't know, I eat some Gabagool Provolone and that bread. That all looked really good at yeah. Uh What a dumbass, though. I think this guy could have gotten a lot more than 20 bucks. 20 bucks? bucks? Yeah. yeah, Jesus, that's at least 100. I mean, Maybe two, yeah, you know, he probably. Wasn't he like thrilled more. to
3: get that 20? 20 bucks, yeah, yeah. baby. <laughs>
1: He also, like, he oh, says God. the line, I, I hope you remember me. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. as the viewer, you're like, we'll never see this guy again.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's the irony there. Is he's just as much of a douchebag as the guy he right. sold out. Yeah. Um, he's another Matt Bevilacca waiting to have his life ruined. Well, um, Pauly right. also outranks Pussy. Yeah. But Pauly is a bit
3: off the reservation here. Yeah. He's, like, in a spiritual crisis. I was wondering, is it, again, like a Sopranos type of irony that Pauly's emotional fragmentation or whatever redounds to pussy's duplicity and his benefit of bringing himself closer to tony mm, yeah. he gets this information and he gets to go oh yeah you him. see him he
0: gets like a, he pumps his fist a little moment of like yep. yes this is gonna get me you know he's gonna do what skip offered him and giving being the one to break this information to tony that's gonna put bump his status it's all about what have you done for me lately and uh you know, it's also the 20 bucks is also just another commentary, I think, on just how cheap life is in this world uh, where, you know, this this guy is going to get killed off of this information and he got 20 bucks for it. That's just stunning. <laughs> and we're here. Now it's time for a conversation. First of all, we're in the psychic scene. So we're going we're gonna to talk about how fucking funny this is, by the way. Paulie just yelling and 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 the react the way tony sirico is handling it i like i I can't help but laugh when the when the psychic comes over to him at that first moment and paulie just stands up like what's the matter you know like what's going on
1: (laughs) all right so i'm putting this out here now and i'm for the panel for all three of yous okay make fun of me if you want again i've said i'm personally agnostic i don't think the show is cullen the psychic we can interpret christopher's vision however you want yes Colin the Psychic is real on the show. <laughs> yeah. He's real. The show has made that choice.
0: And that's why I wanted to wait until this scene to talk about it.
1: So it's not changing me as a person. This is a fictional show. Uh, ghosts are not any more real to me now than they were before I saw this episode. But in the world of The Sopranos, they've made a stand. Cullen can contact something or someone. Is it as Paulie claims, satanic black magic? Right? (laughs) Uh, Six-chip. Is it witchcraft, as the priest uh, will acknowledge later in another scene?
0: What is this, then? It's crazy, and this is what I meant when I said in the introduction that they make some bold... uh, They make a bold uh, choice here to have this psychic pull up a name, and they even go far enough to establish in the next scene... That there's no way the psychic could have been running a scam on the guy. Did he fully right. called from an outside and phone. He used a Ted Hughes as a, nick, as, uh-huh. an, as a nickname. He pulls up a guy that Paulie killed thirty years ago by, by his real name, Charles Pagano. Yeah. Fuck. The show has declared that something real happened there. And yeah. Who, who else knows that Paulie got poison ivy when he killed Mikey Pompiesi? That's, that's also
1: true. Also true. And uh, this psychic, just in terms of portrayal, in terms of like the writing on the episode from Imperially and, and the team, the psychic is midway through another positive interaction with someone in that circle when that scene opens. Right, it establishes right. his bona He's abides. establishing that like the guy's legit. And nothing about that scene puts him on us as a con, right? Yeah. So yes, we got to chuckle when Cullen, the psychic from Nyack, is going to talk to the dead. That is funny. Yeah. Uh, That makes him sound like an idiot. So you're going in with the expectation, that this is going to be a really fucking funny scene. The psychic is going to be a wackadoo. But then the psychic is very real. And the camera work is real. (laughs) Yeah. Because the camera work isn't played as a joke. No. Yeah, it is funny when we get up in Pauly's face and the things Pauly is saying is funny. But when you get things from Cullen's perspective, and he's just looking into the corners of the room... You can't tell me as a viewer, you're not imagining that there is a shadow, there is a shape. He's talking to something somewhere. They get you can't shots, see it, but he does. They get
0: these shots of nothing, and the camera's just kind of rotating a little bit as yeah. if it's floating. It's... So
1: the show, at least in that scene, decided uh, that Cullen has some actual ability.
0: Which brings back us back to your point that Christopher, and you, know, you said you believe he actually visited hell... Whether he did or not, I don't know, but that's not an invalid interpretation based on what we have just seen. That he very well could have gone to actual hell. I don't know. I don't know that the show
1: (laughs) means to explore it that deeply in that scene. Maybe that's ultimately not what the episode is about, like whether hell exists or not, but we, we have to acknowledge it in some way Paulie has a but real even, experience here but,
0: but even know. in its fantastical elements there's something real about it because we all know somebody with that story that can't be explained you know what I mean we all have a friend who has a ghost story or who has right. something that happened to them that can't be explained well the
1: only thing that we have that we can reconcile comfortably is that this encounter happened to Paulie and not to Tony do you know what I mean it happened to a character that frequently strange things happen to this person and it's just like oh, another Paulie story ha, ha ha but it's totally real you know?
3: Yeah, Polly reacts with anger and eats the satanic black magic stuff, but that actually seems to mask that something has been touched, that he knows that this is quite real, just as the humor, I think, masks that it's a real spiritual crisis. So it is interesting. It's The Sopranos is not the kind of show where we're going to keep investigating the supernatural or the paranormal. Because <laughs> you're <right>? imagine. <laughs> um, But it is the kind of show where characters have to deal with the the weight
0: of this kind of experience. So that's what the fun will be to come out of it. We close out the scene with Paulie yelling, quote, fucking queers and throwing a-, a chair at the empty space where the ghost of Mikey Palmisi hangs over his shoulder. And he goes back to uh, the Bing, and they have this scene where they kind of, again, verify that, uh, you know, there was no way the psychic could have concocted this without some kind of actual inside knowledge. Tony's question, did you ask, does he know where Matt Petalocco is? <laughs> uh, was great. Say the second part. Yeah, because uh, we're out here busting our ass and you're fucking around in Nyack. <laughs> did you ask the fucking Ghostbuster that? Did you ask the fucking Ghostbuster that? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I
1: believe uh, uh, Polly says I'm dragging a bunch of fucking ghouls around oh, yeah, with There's me, no denying right? it. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, Tony acknowledges, you know, you bumped off a lot of heavy hitters in your time and you think they're fucking following around Mikey Palmisi?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but maybe it doesn't work like that. I don't know. We're not interested in investigating the rules here. Uh, right. Just ostensibly, as, there are no rules.
3: Yeah, just as death could make brothers of us all and Mikey and Brendan Fallon would be friends. Yeah. In the afterlife.
1: What I guess what I'm saying is this. If, if Pauly's experience with Cullen the Psychic and Nyack is legitimate at some level, could not Christopher's vision of the Emerald Piper, the ominous Irish bar on St. Patrick's Day as some vision of hell, could there not be some validity to it?
0: Of course. Especially especially since they went through the effort of not only the psychic-identifying Charles Pagano, whoever that was, but specifically bringing up, evoking Mikey Palmisi. That's no accident. Yeah. Uh, that... Chris saw Mikey in hell and then he sees Mikey. Mikey was not a, Mikey, you know, yeah, we liked the actor and the performance and he was a fun character for season one, but Mikey was not a big character on the show. Right. So for them to bring him up twice in the same episode, it it it, it, it lends a certain credibility to Chris's hell story. Not any kind of confirmation, but just leaves a lingering enough doubt that anyone thinking about, that it, that it would drive Pauly nuts. It's a lingering enough doubt that Paulie is going to be thinking about this For a long time to come. And if there
3: wasn't an interesting question, if there wasn't, as Jordan said, some possible validity, then Tony's denial in this scene with Polly could be total. There would be no lie to give to it, but we know that by the end of the episode, he's going to sit with Pussy and take a moment at that dinner and then say, Puss, you believe in God?
0: Mm. It's an important question. Yeah. And he's thinking about it, so... Good editing, good directing, good uh, flow of episode here. The phone rings in the back of the bing. Tony gets up, doesn't answer it. Brings A.J. a pizza in the next scene at home. Let's talk about this apology. But while they're talking, the phone is ringing in the background and Carmella picks it up. Um, But Tony gives this apology to A.J. that we mentioned is, of course, given what was said, not nearly enough. But it's as genuine, heartfelt, real an apology as I think we can ever get out of a character like this.
1: It's good. It's not good enough. And I couldn't help but wonder as Tony goes to answer the phone call, that is, of course, urgent, as it turns out, that if the third bite of pizza tastes as good to AJ now as it used to.
0: Mm. Ouch, that's sad. Uh, well, you know, he says that he wasn't hungry when Tony brought it in, and then, of course, is actually hungry once the apology comes out. But yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's rough. It's but rough. Both and... of the actors
3: do excellent work. And yeah. i seen Robert Eiler without a lot in terms of, he's a kid who I think the, the emotional depths are a lot, and he really acts that credibly. One of the reasons the apology, though I'd agree not nearly enough, is compelling to me is because of the a question of self-awareness in it. Tony acknowledging that he gets angry because of the ways that uh, AJ is like him, mm. um, keeping anger and feelings bottled up. But even as this plays out, it's interesting that, The phone rings, as you say, and Carmela comes into the background and stands in the doorway. I love
0: that she, even in the midst of a phone call that is, quote, urgent, I love that she stands there and lets Tony finish the apology. I think that's very real to what she would do. It was a great choice, and I love love that. She's watching that and let's, lets it happen before interrupting.
3: And that scene where she's holding that phone and watching it will also be the beginning of her coming back to Tony, which is how we'll round out the episode. But, you know, is it also her making some peace with the life? Because Tony's getting that phone call, and he's going off to murder somebody. Like, he's handling all family business tonight. He talks to AJ, he goes out to do this murder, and then when Carmella comes home, I, I'm sorry, when Tony comes home at the end of it, I got the sense that Carmella might have known where he was.
0: Oh, so, she knew where he was going. Yeah. She knew where he was going, we get that yeah. lingering shot of her on the, on the looking over the rail after he leaves, and she's got kind of this worried expression on her face that expresses gravity and, and fear and and acknowledgement. She knows where he's going. She knows what that call is. She knows what's going to drag him out of the house at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. And it's, and he can't say. He wants to tell her. There's a moment where he almost like she's like, what what what's up? You know, and he wants to tell her. He just says nothing yeah. and then turns and.
3: So even as my reading um of the apology was based in its generosity. The world calling him back
0: is very present in this scene. We see backroom of Satriels. Pussy's giving him the rundown. He's staying up at a place near that George Washington slept here house. Uh, <laughs> and um, they're going to go get him. And Puss, is offers Tony. Puss offers Tony an out, saying, hey, you know, uh, Furio and me got this. And Tony's like, I want to do this. Cut Furio loose, three's a crowd. So T is going to handle this one. This is personal. Of course, he's going to do this. He is the man in his position. Doesn't have to kill anybody ever. But he's going. He's going to do this one. Best believe. And uh, the next scene we see, they're dragging Matt into the back of a snack. Uh, a, a, a kind of a refreshment center, and I guess is probably like a ballpark or a, a, you know something like that. He's been clearly roughed up. They had to probably knock him around a little bit, get him out of the drag him out of the house. Missing a shoe, he's got bruises all over his face, his nose is fucking broken, and he's rightfully scared for his life. They drilled him. Tony, being very deliberate here, uh, he's blaming Sean all the way. This is Sean. He did it on spec. Richie And Tony has to find out two things. Was this Richie? Right, What's his degree of exposure with Richie. Exactly. Yeah. And did anyone else help you? Was there anyone else that I don't know about yet? So Richie, anyone else... And that's it. Once he gets that information, he's just toying with him until he's dead. Because there's no way he's getting out of the Snack Shack alive. There's nothing he could have said or done. Yeah. You know, the the fact that he deluded himself into thinking, you know, if I blame it on Sean, I'm going to be okay. It's like, you know, you might as well have owned it, brother, because you're, you're fucked.
1: Yeah. Snack Shack question. Yeah. Do they make Diet Fanta? Is that a thing, or is he drinking a Diet Coke at that moment?
0: I think it's a Diet It's a silver can. I, oh, it must be, maybe, that's a Diet oh, Coke, oh, okay. then. Yeah. yeah right. I thought it was a Diet Coke. Yeah. Because I think Pussy asked
1: him, like, do you want a fountain or something? That's all they have. Or no, no, no. He said, I'm sorry. He said it's diet. That's all they have. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: It was only diet. You know, they make Matthew so pathetic in this scene that even though by the code of this universe, he absolutely has this coming. Uh, they make you, you know, pity him, I, I suppose, as much as you can. They don't make this easy to watch. It's not like yeah. a very satisfying a It's pitiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely deserves it. Based, you know, he, they, you know, it, in the it, world
2: of the show, in the world he of the show, it. he deserves it. Yeah.
0: but you know, he, this is not a, this, you're not like, yeah, you know, watching this. Well, and Pussy um, and
3: Tony are these consummate gangsters, so it underlines how he was always in way over his head.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, Tony blasts him right in the middle of the forehead between the eyes, and uh, there's a good, there's a moment of good acting here where Pussy. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a snitch now. He's, he, you know, he's allowed to engage in certain but activities, not this. but not this. Um, so Tony strikes the killing shot, and then there's a moment where Pussy just kind of looks a little hesitant. It's very brief, but y- you can tell, like, in his head he's thinking, okay, he's already dead, so I'm not killing him. Shoots him in the chest, and then, then it's like, okay, now we're sending a message. We're going to just fill this kid with bullets to send a message to the rest of the world,
1: and I guess a missing scene here is that at some point the police will find this body and there will be a picture taken and it will be like on the news, like gangland slaying of, you know, attempted murder oh, yeah. of Chris Moltisanti, whatever, whatever. And that's the message. You fuck with the Soprano crew and this is what happens to you. Oh, this yeah. is why they have to riddle the body with bullets. Oh, right? yeah. He's dead, be by, the he's, one he's, shot. he's dead
0: by the headshot. Yeah. But they want that picture.
1: I was, I was thinking, I was watching the scene, I was like, why shoot him 15 more times? And I guess it's just like... Because it's that much more gruesome. Like, if you come to shoot one of our guys, this is what yeah, happens. If you shoot the right. boss's
0: nephew, you're going to be Swiss cheese. Right. Mm. That's that's the fucking message here. Any thoughts on this scene, Matthew's uh, comeuppance and send Pussy and Tony in it?
2: I just I always thought it was interesting that Tony chooses to go with Pussy because he knows, or at least believes, that Pussy's ratting. So the, it just seems careless um but it is an act of passion so i understand that
0: mm,
1: i don't hmm that's interesting I don't like know. why
2: would he go uh, why would he go with pussy on this one
1: i don't know that tony has accepted that yet yeah i think he has it's buried in a subconscious somewhere he has the suspicion but yeah I, I think i just
2: think it's a careless moment on to, from tony no you're sure. right you're totally right yeah.
1: when pussy mentions in the earlier scene to skip and he says it was a glance Uh, I don't think it's paranoia No, I think Pussy really knows Tony that well to know when something's wrong and we as viewers of the show Um, if
0: you think back to the very first episode of season 2 where he's accepted Pussy back but like the camera goes into uh, like a Zack Snyder-esque slow motion (laughs) while he's a take that the fuck back (laughs) I'm I'm (laughs) I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) where he's like staring at Pussy over the grill in his backyard and it freezes and Tony's just giving a weird look like "Uh, something's off here like he knows something is wrong in his gut, but I so mean, yeah, it's I, I agree pretty with you. Quickly, I think but... uh, I don't think I don't think well. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think Skip is uh, right in that scene. I think Pussy's absolutely getting he a vibe. Uh, well, to Lily's
1: point, I think it's deliberate. I think Tony wants to make this overture to Pussy because it's like almost like extending a branch to him. Like I know there's a rift between us. This may also bring us closer together. You brought me this information. Let's kill this guy together and go out to dinner to an old familiar place and kind of make it like it's the old days. They are trying to repair something. This also I isn't... don't know that Tony knows how damaged it is. He certainly he can't know that pussy works for the government, right? right. He can't know that. But uh, maybe he's hoping to to make things like they were, right? right.
0: This is also not business. This is fucking this is his personal business. Well, so I think he's he's not looking at pussy the gangster. This is like no, pussy my friend, we're gonna pussy go the, kill the godfather of my son our, yeah, but, We're going to yeah. go kill the guy who shot my friend, my right. my nephew. So, yeah, but interesting, very, very interesting subject there. So we're taken to the back of this church, and we touched on this scene briefly. Hilarious. Paulie's like, you know, talking about all his donations. I should have been shielded from this from the beginning. <laughs> um, uh, you know, he drops a classic irregardless, which I know <laughs> Lily uh, Lily loves a classic irregardless. Right? Lily's did
1: a strong eye roll, everyone.
0: <laughs>
2: Regardless is the word. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but irregardless. <sighs> <laughs> I love it. And uh, yeah, Jordan, you wanted to talk about this actor who...
1: I did. I love... Yeah. Uh, Peter McRobbie is like a famous character actor. Actually, mm-hmm. just was watching Lincoln and realized he's in that as well. He plays yeah. George Pendleton. Well, oh, yeah. who uh, isn't in Lincoln? Lincoln? Actually, I'm made, in Lincoln. Everyone's in Lincoln. I was in I'm Lincoln, not too. In, I'm not in Lincoln. Neither am I. <laughs> um, and uh, does a great job as the priest. The priest also upholds cullen's legitimacy even though he's dismissive of it he says uh they use you know black magic witchcraft you know so i'm like but that's still real (laughs) it doesn't say he was a con artist he says he contacted satan i'm like that is still real you're acknowledging satan is in the universe of the sopranos as a character um so i thought that was wildly funny also just paulie's Paulie's belief system is crumbling, right? He believed. Yeah. I fixed the organ for the church. I gave you new whites when you needed them for the altar boys. Yeah. No more of that. You can have none of that because you're not holding up your end of the bargain here. I'm yeah. supposed to be protected. He believes in the system. He believes in the old world Catholic church where you can tally up your venial sins and your mortal sins. He believes in indulgences, right? And that system is crumbling before him yeah. because here he is confronted by actual supernatural
0: turmoil and it's doing nothing for him. Yeah. And it's all, he thinks it should all just be math. Like you can buy oh, away something. Yeah. If you balance it enough with the donations and the whatever, you can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it'll, it'll all balance out. But years of donations and this is what this guy <laughs> sees fly, floating around me. Um, and I should have been covered, irregard, I should have been covered by my donations. Uh, should have been immune to all this shit. And we yeah. get a scene between
1: Polly and um, a, I think it's a carving of Christ yeah, uh, up in the, in the sanctuary of the church. And Paulie kind of walks from him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He he. It does. He doesn't look on the face of Jesus with adoration. No. He kind of looks sad. like he's upset. He's mistrustful. And right? that particular the, and that particular doubt.
0: statue of Jesus looks very sad and forlorn as well. Yes. And he's losing something as well. And
1: I take it as almost like Paulie walks from God in this moment because mm-hmm. he realizes like I think I'm I'm damned. Yeah. Right. Nothing I have done is going to save me. This whole system of beliefs that I have put together aren't real. But what, I, what Christopher has seen is real. Or, or what this guy Colin has seen is real. And, and Polly kind of walks from God in this scene. Or at least walks from his former system of beliefs.
3: As absurd as a lot of Polly's complaints are, it is interesting, and I think this priest embodies it with... Again, like, priests still think it's maybe cool that they smoke or something. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the lack of ability you know, among, not just Catholicism, but organized religion to address problems in people's lives... Um, Carmella is the most devout Catholic on this show, and she's really, like, a Fairweather fan. So I think you saw <laughs> in this sequence that, you know, there's something disconnected here. And, uh, which, and so there's a beautiful shot right at the end where Polly leaves, and the, that sad-looking Christ statue is overlooking
0: the space, and it's empty. So. We get a sense that, uh, there's a tradition being fulfilled here by Tony and Pussy getting a, uh, a nice fancy steak after a hit. Uh, they talk about one they did a while back. Uh, Tony and Pussy popped a, quote, Tony popped his cherry that night, and they get a steak together. It, Tony tells a funny joke about the rich man and a poor man buying their wife uh, Christmas presents. It's very <laughs> funny. Um, not, don't need to repeat it necessarily. Just go watch it. It's great. Uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, they share a nice laugh in a moment. They're having a beer. They're having a steak. Uh, man, that, that steak looked delicious, too. I was right? going to say, I kind of yeah. want to know what that restaurant was. I'd yeah, try. yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he asks, Puss, do you believe in God? And Puss gives an answer. I do. He does. Um, Thoughts on this little scene before we get to the last button?
1: I think Tony's trying to reclaim his friendship in a way. Mm. It was not important for him just that Pussy went to do the hit on Matt with him, but that they kind of consummated it by going back to their old place and trying to rekindle their friendship. A darker look would be, um, to pick up on what Lily said earlier, that Tony's suspicions are still boiling underneath the surface and that this is, this too is a test, almost. Like, let me take the fake version of Pussy out to dinner and see what this feels like. But there does seem to be like a genuine effort at reconnection. Tony makes an okay joke. Pussy laughs a little too hard at it, right? Mm. Um, there's a certain ease of conversation, but there is a tension there, too. Um, so, yeah, interesting scene for a lot of reasons.
3: Yeah, I guess it's kind of dark to bond over murder, but what, you gotta get it where you can. <laughs> and they do, they do connect. They have a natural affinity for one another. But you know, Pussy's betrayal hangs over everything like a cloud. So it it has this doubleness to it. It's a it's a funny scene. There's a lot of nice shots. the 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 coloring in the window behind Pussy almost makes it look like stained glass, mm. which I think is deliberate given the episode's themes. Um, so it has a it has a warm look to it. It's compelling in that way. There are funny jokes in it. But something seemed both genuinely moving in the character's connection and tense and even dire, as Jordan said, in what is not spoken between them.
0: Well said.
1: Did anyone else think, like, I I know that this couldn't happen, but Tony says, can I ask you something? And there's a beat. And Pussy looks up. And there's a gap. And you're like, oh my god, is he going to ask him about The Wire, about Skip, about... Yeah. turning states evidence, were you the rat, are you the rat now? And I thought that was going to be the question, but the actual question was the question of the episode, which was just, do you believe in God? And I was actually sort of relieved in that moment, but I'm like, that's how good the show is at building tension, which is where, you know, we, we're actually having a conversation about, you know, talking about God and our beliefs, but underneath, the, what they're actually having is a conversation about loyalty, fidelity, is this friendship still
0: intact, you know? Mm. Yeah. This last scene is so exquisitely acted. I, I makes me almost tear up talking about it just because it's such good work on the part of these two genius actors. God, I miss James Gandolfini sometimes, man. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful scene with um, Tony and Carmela. It's the end of a long emotional episode and they're still taking their time. There's long gaps between these lines and they're looking at each other and Carmela has this, ex- this kind of knowing expression on her face and Tony sits down and they start talking. What do we make of this last scene here and what is spoken in- between them and how we uh, pan out? I love the last shot of the episode, just their hands kind of coming down in the sheets and then we pan over to the-, the angel statues. It's a beautiful way to end as Lover's Prayer, of course, comes back in.
1: Thoughts on this final scene? We've had a long problem in the show that these two don't fuck. <laughs> You know, and they finally get down to it. Mm. And it feels, like, earned. Mm-hmm. Like something is repaired. At least in this moment. It's one of the most sensual
3: moments they've ever done on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is powerful. The way it's shot is also powerful. They keep cutting closer and closer until the frame is the two of them. Face to face. Very intimate. What can I do? Prove it to me. And it, it the way it all comes together, again, sensual, passionate, romantic, uh, human exposing, much like the song itself, Lover's Prayer, which has this great vibe that has colored so much of the episode. And at the end, I felt like, in some way, maybe the Lover's Prayer is Carmela's hope that the closeness will hold and that Tony can prove himself to her. Uh, the last shot where the hands are interlocked mirrors one of the first shots where Adriana is holding Chris's hand. Mm. And it pans from the hands over to these figurines. Uh, they look mostly angelic. Um, much different than the Christ one, looking on approvingly, hands open. Mm. And maybe it's that question that Jordan asked of what is out there? Who are we being watched by? And all we can do, I guess, is live our lives in a way that we hope uh, justifies what we think and how we uh, approach the world.
0: I I, I I moved by the last scene. Yeah, it gets me, I'm like welled up even. T- just thinking about it, There's just, it's 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 so deep and so rich and the way these two play it is so beautiful and intimate,
2: I feel like I watched a whole different scene.
0: Oh, I mean, there's a lot there, but <laughs> talk about it. There's a lot going I on. I
2: feel like Carmela drank more delusion juice and just gave up on the one thing she wanted all episode, and this is her only way to kind of trap him into staying. When the kids leave, what keeps him from what what will keep him coming home? I think she's afraid that he won't come home if the kids leave. She has to have a pull.
1: Do you think she wants another baby? No,
2: I don't. Uh, Well, yes, I do. I think she wants maybe another shot to make a a, a better human. I think (laughs) she wants to keep her marriage intact, and I think that in her head this would help. I find this scene extremely sad and defeated.
1: Interesting. Defeating. Mm I love the physical acting right in the beginning of the scene. I actually, uh, I don't know, it was a little embarrassing, but, like, he was sitting on the edge of the bed, and she came up behind him, and she was, like, massaging him, putting her hand through his hair and kissing, like, behind his ear and his neck. And I just, like, I thought in that moment, like, how badly I... I was like, I really want someone to kiss me like that. That is, like, really lovely. And I was like, are we going sexy times in this scene? Are we heading there? And we did get there, and I was like, oh, sexy times, wow. You know, so... I don't know, either reading, whether it's this brilliant expression of love or whether it is some kind of resignation on the part of Carmela, some connection is made here that has not been here previously, right? It doesn't seem like a spiritual connection so much, but as Paul pointed out, yeah, there is the sense that they're being watched. They're the angels on the nightstand. There's us at home. We are watching.
0: An interesting, right? and I don't know whose theory of the scene this supports necessarily, or that we even need to have a definitive answer on that, because I think... <laughs> Both are valid interpretations or reads on on the scene, and both can also actually be true, by the way. Yeah. But um, what's interesting to me is this idea of Carmela and these guys and these people in this episode, in this world, using these codes and these ideas when it's kind of convenient for them or as a way to validate their existence. Carmela tries to get Chris to change his life and works the whole episode at at trying to save Chris and praying for Vision and, and whatever what drives her to come on to him like this is she knows damn well what he just did so something about seeing tony go out and kill this guy who did this to christopher it's almost like what tony said in a way is true that everyone involved knows the stakes and that includes carmella and by tony going out and fulfilling this role and seeing the apology too something in what carmella sees in tony in those last few scenes brings her to this place that we see in the last scene. So whatever you think of that last scene, it's Carmela has seen something and is and is acting out something that has changed her perspective in the last few scenes. Tony asks, are you trying to drive me crazy? Because she does have a shift, a radical shift in priorities here. I just think it's interesting. It's an interesting question that what drives her to have this change? And uh, it's kind of interesting that she's trying to come at it from this Classic Catholic stance for so much of the episode, and yet she knows full well that he was just out murdering somebody and damn near, you know, I don't want to say attacks because it's very clearly a consensual, loving act. Um, but, you know, she's really on top of him from the moment he hits that bed. But yeah. Yeah, it's a different attitude than you've made a living from undoing God's work because yeah. things have changed. Mm. From where to eternity? hell of an hour lot lot there I feel like we could even go another 30 minutes if we really wanted to but we've uh, we've hit the end of the episode here so let's do some wrap-ups final thoughts anything else you want to mention about this episode and then we'll uh, we'll we'll hang up our hats
1: so far I feel in our viewing and discussion of the series this is the episode that most brought um the religious or spiritual implications of the show into focus Mm. and it's really interesting because even though the show does some fun things like a a real psychic or uh (laughs) ideas about you know i don't know witchcraft or whatever um the show doesn't definitively answer any of those questions it raises the same questions that we walk around with in life uh which just reminds me uh it's another facet of how lifelike this show is Everyone is complicated. The answers are never clear, and even things put into relief in terms of the spirit world are are not definitively answered either. In the end, everyone is right, and everyone could be wrong. You know, and I, I think everyone, uh, even though we lament that they can only live by their codes, um, that is kind of the only way to live in in their world. That's that's the negotiation that they've made. Uh, those are the deals that they make with themselves to keep themselves going. Ultimately, that's the deal Carmela makes at the end of the episode, is that she knows who she married, and she has to find a way to continue.
0: Well said, Jordan. And with that, we are going to call it a wrap on Episode 9 of Season 2, From Where to Eternity. And Season 2, man, we we got four left in this season. That's an exciting landmark. we got the episode Bust Out coming up next. <laughs> like it a lot. We're going to uh, get a little... Uh, Davy Scatino action. Davy's coming back to the show. I'm excited to see where all that goes. Oh, God. And uh, their lives are not, the Sopranos' lives are not going to get any easier in the next four hours. I'm excited to break it down with my favorite people. Lily, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: I believe we're going to have you back for the season two retrospective. Oh, so so we'll see you then. That's going to be exciting. But until then, I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time for bust out baby the hell is hot